Turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts. We're going to land our teaching series today on prayer, and I'm entitling this morning's teaching, this morning's discourse, The Projection of Prayer. You're going to probably think, what in the world does that mean? The Projection of Prayer. Um, Full disclosure, just as I begin, there was no way in the world that I was going to let my alliteration fail on the very last week of the series. So, the projection of prayer, we find ourselves... Did you guys realize there's been a beautiful alliteration for the last nine weeks? Does anyone appreciate a good alliteration like a pastor does? Yeah. I don't know what that is, but all of a sudden it's become this thing where pastors alliterate things, but it's really pleasing. I enjoy it quite a bit. It's been happening for centuries? Has it really? Centuries of... Well, I know alliteration's been around for centuries, but pastors have been doing it? Well, I'm too young in, in the pastoral ministry to have known centuries ago. Um, anyway, so, so I've entitled this morning's discourse, The Projection of Prayer, and I want to begin to try to answer the question, what now? So we've spent the last 10 plus weeks, for the most part, studying prayer and trying to intimately um, understand what the Lord has designed and desired for His people within prayer. And I believe that to land this series, to land our time together, it's important for us to ask ourselves, okay, how do we take now all that we've heard? How do we take what the Lord has spoken to us, what we've unearthed through Scripture, and how do we synthesize it into something that is both practical, that we can grab a hold of, and and applicable to our lives? So I want to try to do that today. And so my aim in this morning is to present a bit of a holistic overview of our study, and hopefully with a, a helpful application to it. So as I thought about this aim of application, as I thought about trying to take a hold uh, of all that we've learned and just to kind of distill it into a morning's meditation, I wanted to narrow on a word that in my heart communicated uh, prayer that is active, communicated prayer that is offensive, not offensive, but offensive, to communicate prayer that is outward, prayer that is bold, prayer that's courageous, prayer that is engaging with expectant faith. That's what I wanted to do, is just to find something that described that. And so when we think of the word projection, many of us often go to like a weather projection or to a movie projector, and the essence of what that word means is found within those descriptions, of course. But if you look back, is anybody familiar with the Webster's 1828? Webster's 1828 is like, it's like the, the, the genesis of uh, dictionaries. It's like the, the origins, if you will. It's the old school. You go back to it. I went to a high school that required everyone to purchase and utilize the Webster's 1828. But the reason that it's still regarded as such a profound set of, of work is because um, the, the amount of work that it goes through in terms of learning the, the language and whatever that whole study is, etymology, um, you know, uh, um, unearthing all of that information is is so vast. So anyway, that being said, when we look at Webster's 1828, it defines the word projection in two forms. First, it says it's a transforming change. Projection means a transforming change. And second, it's the act of throwing or thrusting forward. And it's here that I realized how perfectly this word spoke to what I wanted to communicate today. So when, we, when we're applying...
You want me just to continue on? Okay. All right. I'm just going to keep going. Is that a green light? I'll give myself a green light. So when we are now endeavoring, I'm going to yell, to apply this habit of prayer that we've been learning, it isn't enough for us to say that we must, that understanding prayer now must or ought to result in a faithful expectation. Let me, let me say that again. Applying now our understanding of prayer, it's not enough for us to say, well, yeah, we, we ought to do this. We should, we should think of it in this way. What I want to say to you guys this morning is that to understand that with this broader uh, understanding and this broader view of prayer, that naturally from it, seeing prayer as we have endeavored to study, naturally comes with a confidence of faith and an engagement in prayer, listen, that expects God's power. There's a difference between wishing and hoping and saying it ought to and actually believing and expecting that something will happen. This is what I believe the Lord is is wanting to do within us as a people. That we, through prayer, that through understanding the power of it, as we have spent a numerous amount of weeks thus far, would come with a a view that it, it, it leads us naturally to expect the power of God to move according to his will on behalf of his children. And I was thinking, this is Jesus' admonishment in Mark chapter 11 when he says this, have faith in God, Jesus says. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. This is the expectation. This is that posture of expectancy that Jesus is referring to here in in Mark 11. And while it is hyperbole in a sense of which Jesus is speaking in, there is also a truthfulness to what he is saying. Even the most seemingly absurd naturalistic Results of prayer can be done if you believe in faith. This prayer, this type of posture, is prayer that is anchored in the all-powerful glorified Jesus. Of he who has given to his people a means by which he enacts genuine change, both in the natural and in the spiritual realm, through faith according to his sovereign will. This is the type of prayer that God has given to his people a means by which he has determined to bring about change on earth, both in the physical and in the spiritual. Do you believe this? Do you believe that prayer is effective in that way? Let's believe for it together. And I was just thinking, trying to think of an illustration for this posture that I believe that the Lord is calling Capital City to. And I thought of a, an illustration of a baseball batter. And if you're a fan of baseball, then you've probably studied a bit of a batter and the significance of how they prepare themselves. And there's a tremendous amount of work that goes on beforehand, both in their training, in their, in their physical training, and their studying hours upon hours of film in preparation of 
their own hitting technique and mechanics, and they'll study the opponent's strategy and, the one, and whoever it is that they're coming to face. So there's all this work that happens hours upon hours outside of the games. But when they step into the batter's box, then there's a tremendous amount of work that also takes place in those moments. And I was thinking about this illustration that there's, as a, as a batter, and this is one of my favorite batters, I'm a Dodger fan, and so for those of you around here that are Giants fans, you'll have to just put up with this for a moment. But this is Justin Turner, and he's got this really fascinating type of technique and approach to batting. But you can see that the posture that he's taking in preparation for what he's endeavoring to do, his stance, he's, he, he's got his weight back on his back foot, He's loaded, they call it, with his hands, his arms are back, his hands are back, and there's this whole intent right now in the moment to swing through and to make contact and to be effective. And all of this is for what purpose? It's because in that moment, this batter believes, or has faith, if you will, that because of his training, because of his preparation, because of his right understanding, he will be effective in what he sets out to do. This, brothers and sisters, is analogous to the church. We are like a batter. Are we a batter who understands the disciplines and the mechanics, who understands the importance of strength and weight and training and strategy and preparation? Are we a batter that's like that? Or would it be perhaps like one of my sons who decides he's going to step in the batter's box of a major league baseball game to a guy who's going to throw 101 miles an hour towards him. He's not prepared. As good as my son could be in baseball, and he's shaking his head that, yes, he would definitely be good in that moment. As good as he would be in that moment, he is ill-prepared. And I just felt like for us, coming and landing this whole series, that the Lord wants to ask us, what is our stance? Not, not what's our stance on a topic. You know what I mean? What is our posture? Are we like a skilled, trained athlete, or are we like one who just aspires to something? Do we believe that prayer ought to be this way, or do we believe that prayer is most definitely resulting in this way? And so for us to take up our effort in prayer, whether it's personal or whether it's corporate, without understanding what we're engaging in beforehand is like an unskilled batter, an athlete who doesn't prepare. And so just as a movie or an image is projected or thrown onto a screen or just as a vocalist or a singer or a theater performer projects their voice or as a, as a batter or a pitcher projects the ball through the air with force, so too we as a church, as a people, project prayer upward and outward in faith with the aim of seeing actual change take place. So we have to ask ourselves, again, what is our posture? What is our stance? And that's what all of this has been for. So let's look at the text together, Acts chapter 4. I just wanted to find a text that I thought would give us such a wonderful broad view of everything that we've been uh, studying and considering and also help us with a, a very practical application. So I'm going to read quickly um, a chunk of text for the sake of context, and we're going to begin in verse 1 of Acts chapter 4. I'm reading from the ESV just because of the amount of text. I'm not going to project it onto the screen, so you can listen if you would like. 
But as you're listening, here's what I want to ask you. As you listen, I want us to look for and listen for this front-footedness where the early church is engaging with the confidence of faith and expectation for God's power. All right? Let's be looking for that as I read. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. This is speaking of Peter and John. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with, I can't remember how to pronounce this word, but it's dangerous, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone And there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, or rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, through whom, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... 
Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What a absolute inspiring 31 verses that were given of the early church. And I just, before we launch into it, I want to say again, let us be careful that we don't approach Scripture like this with a sense of disconnection from present reality, where we say to ourselves, man, that was the, that was the early church. Yes, God was doing something unique as he birthed his church, but I tell you, brothers and sisters, what he intended, what he began with, is what he intends in present day as well. So let's have faith for that. So I want to focus the majority of our application efforts on verses 23 through 31, but I read the entirety of the text because I wanted for us to get a clear picture of the stance of the early church. And what do we see? Just very quickly, we see a confident, a forceful and a faith-filled stance that the church has taken up. Luke's recording here in chapter 4 reflects a people with strong resolve, a people of belief, of strong belief, boldness, courage, righteous civil disobedience, being filled with the Spirit on multiple times it speaks here in these 31 verses, power, signs, wonders, all of this right here in this chunk. And that the Lord would do that with us today. Amen? That these words, that these descriptions, these characteristics could be said about Capital City Church in 2021. Boldness, courage, power, signs and wonders, being filled with the Holy Spirit. But before we look at verses 23 on, I want to point out something that I found to be profoundly significant in what I just read. Look again at verse 13. And the perception of Peter and John that the temple leaders and the Sadducees had, we cannot miss this. Seeing that they were, the the, the spirit-inspired courage, the boldness, the spirit-inspired courage of Peter and John, it says that they were astonished. Why? Two reasons. Number one, in verse 13, it says that they perceived that they were uneducated, common men uneducated common men. These were unlearned and unversed individuals in the ways of the Jewish teaching and often in the Jewish traditions in part. But it did not hinder them from speaking with boldness and with courage to what they knew to be true. Remember that just a few years prior to this account, Peter and John were tradesmen. Just what, three plus years prior. They're tradesmen, they're fishermen. They're not trained. They don't have a, a master's of divinity. These are common men that the Lord called and chose and filled with his spirit to be and to act according to what he purposed in that moment. Who filled with his spirit for power, for signs, for wonders, for miracles. And of course, we, as we've spoken of Acts chapter 3, what led us to what I just read of the healing of the very old 40-year-old, right? He's so old, he's 40. 
He's been, he's been, <laughs> if you're over 40, you're only going to get it, really. <laughs> you're like, no, if he's over 70, and then you're going, hey, if you're over 70. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So Peter and John, they were, they were, they were tradesmen, and yet they would speak. What would compel them to speak with such courage and to stand in the temple and to teach and preach the gospel with boldness. A place where they should not even be heard and considered. Here they stand and speak according to what they knew to be true. When I was younger, when I was 24, I took a job at a plumbing company, not having ever worked in the plumbing industry. And I was given this title in this very small family-owned plumbing company of the operations manager. I was given this title, which was really just a title, and, and it was in name only. My function essentially was just to answer the phones and to route a, two plumbers out to service calls throughout the area. But as the company grew, and as I grew, and as my understanding of what the industry I was in grew, my ability to actually speak intelligently and to discern what was happening in different scenarios increased as well. And it was interesting because I found that one of probably the most difficult aspects of the job was hiring men to come in and to be under my employ and direction and leadership who were 20 years my senior at times and who had 25 to 30 years of plumbing experience and they had to take direction from someone like myself. And when they looked at me, it was like, well, who are you? And this was a constant battle I had. Who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to think A, B, and C? Who are you to diagnose this and that? And I had to find that it wasn't, it wasn't my stellar training that I had received. I didn't go to school for it. But my confidence to speak, like Peter and John in that moment, came from the recognition that the authority that I had been given to speak under didn't come from the peers that I stood around or for those who were under my leadership, but it came from the person above and so my boldness, if you will, came from the recognition of what I knew to be true. And this is the same of what Peter and John, their, their boldness and their courage came not from their skilled training. They were common men, it said. Brothers and sisters, we are common men and women. You are not disqualified from being used by God because of your perception of how qualified you are. The Lord intends and desires that each and every one of us would be used by him, would be vessels of grace. And I loved how that song that we sang this morning said, we are people of presence. This is my cry right now. I so love that song this morning, just to ask the Lord to revive that fire again in us. We are people of presence, brothers and sisters. We are not people of master's degrees, at least in the gospel. Some are, but not all of us are, and you don't have to be. The second point that I wanted to just point out, and I'm going to move quickly, first is that they were perceived that they were uneducated and common men, and the second was this. It says that the leaders recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. So when I say that prayer that the projection of prayer brings about transforming change. This is part of that process. Prayer changes us. 
Being with Jesus changes us. It exposes who we are. Prayer exposes our motives and our desires. If from the mouth the heart speaks, then what we pray for and how we pray for it speaks volumes about what we believe and what we think. Does it not? You learn so much about someone by how they pray. And that's not to say we're scrutinizing. It's just to say when we listen, we hear what's in people's hearts. We hear what God has placed within one another. Prayer shines light into our darkness. Through prayer, our natural self is confronted with eternal truth. In prayer, we are subject to the work of the Holy Spirit. Prayer changes us. Paul will say this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, that as we behold the glory of Jesus, Paul says, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And all of that comes from the Lord, which is the Spirit. This is what it is to be changed and to be transformed through prayer. There's a direct connection between having bold courage like Peter and John and being with Jesus. And the temple leaders and the Sadducees, they recognize that. These are men that have been with Jesus. It's the same boldness that Jesus spoke with in his earthly ministry. Now they speak with it today. This is us, brothers and sisters. We are the common men and women. We are, in some sense, the unlearned and the unskilled at times and the uneducated in certain ways. But yet, have we been with Jesus? If we have, that is the difference maker. Are you guys with me? Are we all tired this morning? Is that hour really dragging us down? Should we just take a minute and do some stretches? Get our blood flowing again in our bodies? All right, with the time left, and I'm going to do this quick because I've not given myself enough time for everything that I want to say. Let's look at verses 23 through 31. I just want to extract what I believe are some helpful examples that model prayer for us, which includes so much of what we have learned throughout this series. You've all heard of the book, The Seven Habits Habits of Highly Effective People. Have you guys heard of that book? Well, listen, I'm going to give to you today, if my math is correct, approximately 15 to 20% degree more of effectiveness. I'm going to give you nine habits of highly effective prayer, okay? That's a a 20% jump there. So if you read the book, expect more from this. Number one, nine habits of highly effective prayer. Number one, we see this in verse 24. We must pray with a high view of God, brothers and sisters. Pray with a high view of God. They say this in their prayer, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth. This is where it begins, a recognition of who we are coming to. When you pray, what is the view of God that you pray with? Do we approach prayer on the basis of our rationale and what we think is possible Or do we approach prayer on the basis of what God has promised? If we are not thinking rightly about God, then we are limiting what we believe he can do and we are limiting what he says he will do. Pray with a high view of God. Are we petitioning an omnipotent God in prayer? Are we coming before an all 
ever-present God, a faithful God who does not change, who cannot change? Or are we coming in prayer to a God constructed from our own finite construct? We must pray with a high view. Number two, we see in verse 25 that they pray truth. That is, they pray the scriptures. And they say this, quoting Psalm 2. You know what I love about this is we actually, we, we don't know. The impression that we're given is that it's not one of, it's not Peter or John who leads this prayer. This is a response that we see here in chapter 4. When they come together, it says, when they heard it, speaking, I guess, of the 5,000 or the thousands or however many were gathered in that moment, it says, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. And what did they pray? They began to pray with a high view of God. And just beautifully woven in was their understanding of the significance of the truth of Scripture. So too should we seek to pray truth when we pray. It's as though they're saying to themselves, reminding themselves, this is what God says. That's why praying text, praying scripture is so helpful because it is truth itself. It is life itself. And when we're praying it, we're speaking and teaching and preaching to our own spirits. This is what God says to us. This is what God says for us. And praying the scriptures helps us to be pointed and to keep focused on Christ. And it helps us avoid the difficulties of overcoming our natural mind and emotions. It's a very simple, very practical, and yet helpful habit that we can develop in our life. So we begin by praying with a high view of God, and we pray truth. Number three, we see in verse 25 as well that they pray with a biblical theology. That is, they understand the context through which they are praying. When he says, or when they say together, or whoever it was that says it, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and then they quote Psalm 2, and then they say again, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. They understood the times in which they lived. They understood the circumstances that surrounded, and they understood how their prayer in that moment found its place and its position within God's redemptive history. They understood the scriptures enough to be able to say, this is, this is what David spoke in Psalms. What we're seeing, what we've seen played out through the life of Jesus and the judgment and the crucifixion was spoken of in the scriptures. And they were able to put it into context as well. Brothers and sisters, this can be so helpful, but also really stretching for us in that, in that prayer would be taking up all of the breadth of God's purposes, which in turn places our current circumstances into proper perspective. When we pray with a, a whole Bible view, if you will, it changes the depth and the effectiveness of which we pray. Why? Because it helps us in perceiving God's will. When we understand this whole thing and not just this narrow portion, we understand more rightly who God is, how God works, what is the will of God, and how does my current circumstance fit into his promises. 
So we pray with a biblical theology. We do this through knowing Scripture, and the way that we know Scripture is by being a student of Scripture. We have to study. There's a difference. I remember my father would tell me, there's a difference between your time and devotion and your time of study. The two can go together, but please do not mistake one for the other. Both are vitally important in the life of a Christian. We have to have time where we just meditate and we are with God, as I said, that we are those who have been with him, where we give him opportunity to speak to us, to change us, to move us. And then outside of that, in addition to that, we give time to study the word of God, to understand, man, what does revelation say? What does this book mean for me right now? If all of scripture is inspired and, and has present context, it is ours to mine the deep, the deep, deep veins of Scripture to understand what that text is for us now. So we have to pray with a biblical theology. Number four, number four, pray the will of God. They pray the will of God here in verse 29. Grant to your servants to continue. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They knew that it was the will of God in that moment that they would continue in spite of what came against them in opposition. They understood the will of God was that the gospel would continue to be preached and proclaimed regardless of the degree of scrutiny, regardless of the degree of opposition that they came against. There is something that is so powerful about speaking aloud what we know to be true. Praying God's will brings our own into proper perspective. And I've said this already as we taught this. It brings our own will into submission of his will. To pray God's will is to say, as we saw in Matthew 9, not your will, God, but, or not my, not my will, God. We do come there that way, don't we? Not your will, but my will. No, we flip it. It's not my will, but yours. And this is how Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And you might remember this. He begins with the, the, your name, your kingdom, and your will. And then, then he moves on. Once we have prayed through this your perspective, we move on then to give to us. Because it's, it's an alignment issue. And as you know, and I don't have to convince you, our hearts need constant aligning. Just this morning, before, I, try, I, I pray every Sunday morning in preparation for the meeting. Oh, it was so difficult this morning in prayer for me. Not just because I was tired. It just was difficult. And I found my mind wandering in and out of just various different things. And at one point, I actually stood up and I said out loud, Lord, you have to help me right now in my prayer. It's because my, it's just our hearts, they wander. It's so easy for them to wander. So we pray the will of God, your name, your will, your kingdom. We don't pray what you, we hope for, we pray what we know to be true. And if you're not true, or you're not certain of what is true in that moment... See points three and four. Learn to pray scripture. Learn to pray truth. Learn to pray with a biblical theology. Number five, we must learn to pray with an understanding of God's sovereignty. And we see this in verse 28. 
when in their prayer they say this, do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And they actually, they begin with it in verse 24 when they, when, they, when they address God in the very beginning as sovereign Lord. They prayed with an understanding of God's sovereignty. And this is so helpful because as I spoke about in healing a couple of weeks ago, we don't know what God will do within his own timing. We just don't. We, we could have the most Christ-centered, spot-on will of God prayer we think that we can pray and we don't see God answer it the way that we think. Where do we go from there? One of two ways. We either go to God doesn't answer prayer, or we go to God is sovereign. And I don't understand his timing, and I don't understand his plan in this moment. But our faith is unwavered. Our faith continues. Our faith is unshaken. And as I also said a couple weeks ago, it's similar to when we proclaim the gospel. We do not know whom he will save, when he will save them, but yet we are instructed to preach the gospel no matter what, regardless of the circumstance. So, it, so is it too with prayer. We pray with faith regardless of what the outcome is, but we pray knowing what God's will is. We pray what's God's will. We pray based in faith based off of what Scripture reveals to us, based of, off of what we know about God, and then we resolve in our own hearts and we relinquish this need to control everything, and we just say, but, oh God, your will be done. Your will be done. Not mine, but yours. So they prayed with a view of God's sovereignty. Number six. Number six. And seven, apparently. I'll give you six and seven at the same time. They prayed with faith. We see this in verse 30. We see this all throughout the prayer. But really, it's, 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 so, it's so on view in terms of what they pray in this. When they say, when they say like ramping up in from 39, or from 29, look upon their threats, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word. So regardless of the opposition, they were going to continue in faith. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed. See, this is the type of posture that I'm talking about, church. It's a front-footed posture. It's a faith that engages, knowing that it is God's will to answer the prayers of his people. It's a faith that is not, just, that is not happy enough to just take whatever comes at him. It's to say, no, God, we don't know. I mean, could you imagine if that were us? If this morning we were gathered because Kevin and Ann had been somewhere proclaiming the gospel and they were held overnight and detained in prison, and then released to come back to the church, and they go, man, you gotta hear what happened. We saw this guy, he was healed, and then they brought us for creating such a ruckus in the, you know, in the town square, and now here we are together as a church. And the amount of faith this must have taken for them to pray this. God, in spite of what may come, in spite of the opposition that is guaranteed to come our way, would you grant us the boldness Lord, we need the spirit-inspired courage to continue right now. Grant it to your people. I don't pray that we would be persecuted, but I know that the Lord uses trial and opposition and persecution to stir his people and to move his church. Brothers and sisters, let's get out, let's get out in front of it. Let's have the faith now so that whatever may come, we are prepared. Amen?
And number seven, pray in pursuit of advancing the gospel. Speak your word with boldness, they said. Your word. May we always keep God's ultimate aim as our ultimate aim. The gospel is God's ultimate aim. We pray for healing because we believe that in the physical healing, the glory of God is made manifest and the kingdom of God is advanced. We pray for emotional healing or spiritual healing because we know that in driving out darkness, the kingdom of God and the gospel goes forth and attests to the truthfulness of who God is. Let's always keep the main thing, the main thing. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they saw this. They understood that what surrounded all of this, the persecution, the, 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 uh, um, uh, all, all, that, all that transpired, they understood was the gospel moving forward. And they were able to pray accordingly. Number eight, pray with discernment. They lifted their voices together with God, it says in verse 24, and they understood the scriptures. They perceived what had already transpired within Jerusalem, as I said already. They understood the crucifixion and where it it was placed and how their circumstances were in light of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And they saw the interrelated nature of what they were experiencing and Jesus' commissioning that had happened not much longer prior. They understood all of these things and the interplay between them all. Do we have that kind of view, brothers and sisters? This is difficult. This is a difficult aspect, a difficult habit for us to train ourselves in, but it comes, again, in very simple ways of all of these things that I've already said. And being with God and understanding the will of God and knowing Scripture and believing in the sovereignty of God and praying with faith, all of these things contribute to building in us an ability to discern and have wisdom, to see what's happening around us and to place it rightly in light of what God is doing. They prayed with discernment. And lastly, number nine, we see in verse 29 specifically, when they say, grant your servants, grant to your servants boldness, while you stretch out your hand. They prayed with a dependent desperation, dependent with a view of our limitations, we pray. We are dependent on the one who is all-powerful. We, the finite, we, the limited, we, the unfaithful at times, we pray with a dependency on the faithful and true and unchanging God. And there was such a desperation, too. They understood, again, and this comes with understanding and having discernment and wisdom and all the other things and part of what I said. They understood. Man, there was an urgency in how they prayed. There was an urgency and a fervency by which they came together and they understood, man, the only thing that is appropriate right now is that we pray. I hope that you guys are being stirred. I'm just going to land this quick because I'm over. I hope you guys are being stirred. And I'm looking forward to where the Lord leads us just as we move forward in these next few months and throughout the remainder of the year. I believe that this is foundational. Take a hold of some of these things. 
Maybe if you could just throw that back up there again for me. And I'm not saying that this is the most comprehensive list. I'm just saying we see this so clearly here in Acts chapter four. We know this is true. If we could be diligent to cultivate some of these in our lives, this will be such a difference maker for us. Such a difference maker for us. And I wanna just end. There was a, a quote that I had already read to you at one point throughout this prayer series, and I just loved it so much. I thought, man, what a great way to end in kind of an inspiring fashion as we continue to ask the Lord to teach us how to pray. This was a quote by R.C. Sproul. Not R.C. Sproul. No, it's not. It's, it, I forgot to change it. <laughs> no, this is from Charles Spurgeon. This was a Spurgeon quote. Don't look at the bottom. Cover your eyes. Charles Spurgeon says this, the very act of prayer is a blessing. To pray is as it were to bathe oneself in a cool, I can't even read it from here, in a cool purling stream, and so to escape from the heats of the earth's summer sun. To pray is to mount on eagles' wings above the clouds and to get into the clear heaven where God dwelleth. To pray is to enter the treasure house of God and to enrich oneself out of an inexhaustible storehouse. Amen. To pray is to grasp heaven in one's arms, to embrace the deity within one's soul, and to feel one's own one's body made a temple of the Holy Ghost. Apart from the answer, prayer is in itself a benediction. To pray, my brethren, is to cast off your burdens, it is to tear away your rags, it is to shake off your diseases, it is to be filled with spiritual vigor, it is to reach the highest point of the Christian faith. And then he would say elsewhere, prayer girds human weakness with divine strength, turns human folly into heavenly wisdom, and gives troubled mortals the peace of God. We know not what prayer can do. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's mind this. Let's find an answer to that statement. Let's know what prayer can do together. Let's continue to give ourselves to the simple prayer of, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Let's not abandon just because we were done emphasizing it on Sundays necessarily. Let's not abandon our efforts. Let's not abandon our diligence in growing and maturing in our understanding of prayer. But let's understand that this is a stepping stone in what God would have us to. Would you stand with me, please? Father, I thank you for these last couple of months and just how you have been speaking to us so clearly. Lord, we remind ourselves of the testimony that was given during worship this morning of, Lord, how you are beginning to move as we seek you in prayer. I thank you, Father, that you desire to glorify yourself through this church. And Lord, it is our pleasure to pursue you in prayer. It is our pleasure, Lord God, to dive deep into the inexhaustible storehouse, as Spurgeon would say, Lord, of, of blessing where you dwell, Lord God. We pray, Father, that you would stir us in the coming weeks and months, Lord, to vigorous prayer life. I pray, Father, even still, 
for those who might lack faith or, Lord, for those who find themselves hindered in prayer to see you as the great provider of strength and grace and means to overcome hindrances. Lord, deepen us that we would be a discerning people, that we would be a people who so gladly and hopefully rely on your sovereignty, O God, who pursue to know your will and who pursue to understand your nature and character, Lord God, and to put all of this world's circumstances in this present day within the proper perspective of your redemptive plan. Lord God, these efforts require wisdom and discernment and diligence and faith, and so we pray for faith now. In the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, increase the measure of faith on us, each individually and so corporately. Increase, Lord, I pray that we would take this posture as an athlete, Lord, of preparedness, of anticipation, an expectation of effectiveness when we engage in what we've been called to do. Lord, may our projection of prayer go far and be effective. Stir in us, Lord, we pray. And lastly, I ask, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon this church in a greater measure for the glorification of your name and that the kingdom would be advanced in this city. Lord, we love you. We love this church. We love one another. And Father, we give these things and commend ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.